Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Hey, I have had some people ask me, um, like, why do we have ropes on the back rows? Why do we have, why are we moving chairs in and out? Where are the tables? You know, all those kinds of things. And I want to let you know, we're right now in a season of growth, which means that we don't know how many people are going to be here on any given Sunday in any service. And so we want to make sure we have enough chairs in the back to allow for people to come in that we may not be expecting, but they're not the best seats. Matt, you're in the back row right now. Is that the best seat? (laughs) It's it's not our best seats. Our best seats are more up front. And so um, we would love it. That's why we have the ropes back there. We would love it if you guys would fill up from the front back. That would be really helpful for us for a couple reasons. One is as a speaker, it's helpful to have people sitting in these empty chairs right there, so I can see somebody instead of empty chairs. So it's helpful for me as a speaker. It's helpful for the worship team as well. Uh, it's also helpful for people who come in late. Um, you know, if they come in late, we'd rather not escort them all the way up to the front. We'd rather have those those rows in the back empty so that we can sit them there. So, all right. So two asks for you as far as chairs go. Uh, if you would, if you're willing. Please sit closer to the front, in front of the, the ropes. And then secondly, if, if there are no seats, ask an usher, and they'll either find you a seat or they'll move the ropes for you, and you guys can sit back there, okay? That would be helpful for us. Uh, I did want to give an update on what's happening uh, in Ukraine as far as the vineyard goes. As, as you guys know, I mean, this terrible war happening over there, um, just frustrating that that is happening and that there seems like nothing we can do, but there is something that we can do. There are three vineyard churches in Ukraine, and uh, Vineyard USA has been in contact with them and said that it would be helpful if we financed them to be able to help with refugees and provide food and shelter and things like that. And so um, I met with the board yesterday, and we decided to take uh, some money from our 10%. You know, you guys... No, we set aside 10% for outreach emissions, and uh, we sent over $5,000 yesterday to help those churches over there. Yeah, and that's, we can do that because of your generosity, so thank you so much for being generous here at the church. It allows us to be a generous church, so we may never know the impact of that this side of heaven, but one day when we get to heaven, I know we'll, we'll know where 10% of your dollars went, so that's pretty exciting for me. Um, I do want to pray for um, Ukraine, though, if you guys would just join me in in prayer. So, Father, uh, man, we're just talking about um, a topic today that uh, fits into this war, you know. Um, And so, God, I pray that that Putin and the Russians over there would just have mercy on the country of Ukraine and the citizens and the armies over there, Lord. And I pray for peace in that country, Lord. Man, Lord, I just, I just pray that we would not, as a world, continue to go after things that are not ours. 
that we would be satisfied with what we have, God. So just pray for peace. I pray for protection over those churches. I pray that these funds will make a difference in the lives of those who need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, to open up today's message, a question for you. Have you ever loved something that you probably shouldn't have? All right, you ever loved something that you probably shouldn't have? For me, that something was caffeine. <laughs> I love caffeine. Anyway, so um, I, I love Mountain Dew. I love uh, Starbucks Frappuccinos. I love um, Joe to Go. Anyone ever went to Joe to Go? You guys remember that? It was over in Mishawaka. It's the best. It's so sad when they closed that down. I had my own espresso maker as well. And I just, I had caffeine morning, noon, and night. I mean, that was just kind of my deal. When I met Rose, I was a single parent. And, you know, as a single parent, if you've ever been one or you know some, you're burning the candle on both ends. And so I had caffeine in the mornings. I would have uh, at least one of these, you know. You guys know these wonderful, beautiful things. Um, sometimes I'd have two, you know, just to read my Bible in the morning. So I'd be reading my Bible, drinking some Frappuccinos. Um, I would go to work. I worked in downtown South Bend. So almost every morning I would have a meeting with one of my staff and I'd say, hey, let's go for a little walk. And we'd walk down to the South Bend Chocolate Company, whatever that is, South Bend Chocolate, whatever, factory. Yeah. With, oh, they had these mochas with spoons that are dipped in chocolate. Has anyone, I mean, it's, it's, they put it in there, and so you pull it out, and you, um. <sighs> anyway, so, but you just, you're supposed to stir it in, but I would just, anyway, so you had these mochas that were so good, and then uh, in the afternoon, you know, I'd start to come down a little bit on that caffeine high, so I would go and, and drink Diet Code Red Mountain Dew all afternoon, you know? And so I would come home at night. That's how, that's how Rose met me, you know, was I was this caffeine addict. And I would come home after we got married, and, and she said, her, her own words were, I would burst into the house. And the, the quietness and stillness of the house would be shaken, and I would just start yelling and hopping. And I thought I was just bringing excitement to the house. That's what I thought. And, uh, and so that went on for a few years, and um, I, uh, I, went, I would go on these, these wilderness trips where you take a week into the wilderness, and, and you can't really pack a bunch of these with you, you know, in the wilderness. And so I didn't have a lot of caffeine, so I'd get those caffeine headaches. So one year I decided I'm going to just like stop caffeine a week early, get through the headache so that I can enjoy the wilderness. And uh, so I, I came back from that wilderness trip. And, uh, and I didn't get right back on caffeine right away. You know, usually I would just jump right on it. But I've been off of it for two weeks, so I, I came home. I was, talked to my wife, and after a few days, she said, you know, I kind of like you better like this. And I'm like, but I'm so much fun when I'm on caffeine, you know. And she's like, I, I kind of like you better. And so I realized there was something I loved, this, this caffeine stuff, that I probably shouldn't. And, uh, and I, I decided that I love my wife more. And so I don't drink caffeine now unless you go on a mission trip with me because they don't have decaf. So, so I'm a lot of fun on mission trips. But I, I, 
But since it's an early morning, somebody, who wants these two? Come on, come on, run up here, first two people. Come on, run up here. You got to run up here. Come on. Yep, there's one, all right. And who's it going to be? All right, there we go. They have to get out of my grasp. I, I, actually, I actually thought about it. I said, maybe I should drink one as an object lesson and see how much faster I talk by the end of service. You know, just you could, you could quantify it. <laughs> anyway, so have you ever loved something that you know you probably shouldn't? Anybody? You, you ever felt that? Yeah. Um, anyone seen the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? What did Edmund love? Oh, Turkish delights. He shouldn't have. It didn't work out well with him. It did not work well with him. Um, Ended up betraying his family as a result. In Scripture, there's a, a verse that says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 13, if you love sleep, you will end in poverty. You will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. Do not love sleep. So, anybody love sleep? Yeah. You shouldn't. Stop it. Stop it. Don't love sleep. It's not good for you. Um, Judas, what did he love in the Bible? What did Judas love? Money, right? He ended up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Esau, in the Old Testament, he sold his birthright for a cup of soup. He loved that stew so much. Man, he, he sold his birthright for it. And then, you know, you have Solomon in the Bible. Solomon, the wisest of all men. I mean, he, he wrote Proverbs. He's so smart, so rich. But he had, he had a problem. He loved women. He did. Let me read this to you. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must never, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth. And 300 concubines, a thousand women in his life. <laughs> I can't, I, I struggle making one wife happy. You know what I mean? It's just, can you imagine trying to please a thousand women? Whew. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. See, our love for things can be a problem, right? If we love things that are contrary to God, it will lead us astray. But the reality is there are many things in this world that, that vie for our attention, that vie for our affection, and when we love those things, when we love the wrong things, it will be a problem to us. It will be a problem to us. Now, hold that thought. We are in the second week of our series titled Living in Love. It's a message on love based on the book, of, or a series on love based on the book of 1 John about having a lifestyle 
of love. Our word for this year is passion. We want everyone here that calls Lighthouse their church home to become more passionately in love with Jesus this year. And uh, last week, David Merle gave a message titled Anchored in Love. And he gave this illustration of dropping an anchor and how your boat doesn't drift too far from that anchor point. And, uh, and so he gave us two things that we should anchor on. The first one was following Jesus' commands, and the second one is living like Jesus. So if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that message online. But today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. So on your handout, uh, you can turn to your Bibles if you'd like. But today, the topic's going to be a little bit different. It's still about love, but it's a message about what not to love what not to love. Let me read these two verses, or three verses. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So today's message is simply titled, Saying No to Love. When do we say no to love? It's a message about saying no to loving the world and the things of this world. And I'm going to give us a couple of reasons why we should say no to the passions and love of the world. But first, let me pray. God, I know after putting this message together this week, Lord, that this is near and dear to your heart. So, Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes and ears to hear from your Holy Spirit today and that you would give me your words to speak, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. First reason we should say no to loving this world is that we can't love both. We can't Love both the world and God. Verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Yeah, there, there are sections in the Bible that I love, and there are sections in the Bible that, honestly, they scare me. Because I struggle with this idea of loving the world. I do. I mean, there are things I, I love. I love hunting. I love fishing. I love electronics. I love my cell phone, right? You know, I, I, and I say I love. I like them very, very, very much. <laughs> I, can, I can border on the edge of love of just the things in this world. There's a lot of great things. But Scripture is pretty clear. It says if you love them, if your love is for them, then you don't have love for me. So this, this year, if we're going to grow in our passion and love for God, we have to decrease in our passion and love for things of this world. So what is the world in this verse, it's the Greek word cosmos, which means lawful order, government, fashion, decoration, honor, 
universe, the earth, mankind, it's basically everything around us, right? Everything we see outside these doors. It's our culture. It's what's normal in our society. It's every man-made pleasure that surrounds us, that brings happiness. And John is saying, it's okay to like these things, but man, just don't love them. Don't love them. The world is what mankind has created for our sinful nature. Verse 16 says, For everything, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. This is our sinful nature. I found it interesting, I found this video this week where they actually have a psychological term for our sinful nature. It's called reactance, reactance. So watch this, watch this one minute video. As humans, we have a strong need to feel like the master of our own fate. And when your freedom of choice is threatened, it creates an arousal in the body and brain and a motivation to react, ultimately compelling you to do things you're told not to do, like watching this video. Let's try a little thought experiment. Please don't think about a white bear right now. Oops, you're probably thinking about one. Studies have been that since the same instructions and happen to think out loud for five minutes find that, on average, the white bear appears in their thoughts not only at the onset of the experiment, but once every minute. This automatic compulsion manifests in more concrete ways as well, like the literary world where the attempted banning of books has often led to them being more successful. Seriously, books like The Great Gatsby, Catcher in the Rye, and To Kill a Mockingbird are some of the most frequently banned books in the world, yet some of the most successful. So why can't we help ourselves? The impulse comes from the perception that we're losing our freedom and is a psychological behavior called reactance. Have you ever been told you couldn't have something only to realize that it made you want it more when in the first place you never even really wanted it? Just, isn't that interesting though? If somebody tells you you can't have something, we just want it more, don't we? We just want it more. Um, James 4 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. See, our sinful nature just wants those things that are contrary to God. If you go back to the original sin in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve they had just one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. Just one. In the middle of the garden, they could have all the other fruit, just not the one from the knowledge of good and evil, that tree. And they just, they wanted it. They had to go after it because it was something that they, they couldn't have. And in fact, the scripture says it was pleasing to the eye and good for food. And so they ate it. They ate it. Well, that's still happening today. We have this sinful nature in us that just wants the pleasures and things of this world. And it doesn't have to be just sinful things, right? Just anything that we would love more than God. And as we love them, we end up loving God less. 
The two don't coexist according to our scripture today. So our sinful nature, I was um, um, looking at the top 40 songs uh, this week. You know, you can just Google those and, and look them up. And I said, what is, what is our culture singing about? What are we listening to? You know, and so I, I read the lyrics of the first three songs, and I really couldn't go any further than that. The number th- three song is by an artist named Gail, and it's called A-B-C-D-E-F-U. And you can imagine the lyrics on that. So I read the lyrics, and they were terrible. Now, they supposedly have a radio version, but this one was full of every four-letter word that's out there. Um, the radio version isn't the one that our kids are downloading and listening to. And the reason it's number three is because it's the third most popular song in our country today. Why is that? I believe it's just because of our sinful nature. This song is actually about unleashing everything that's inside of you and crying out and yelling at people with every vulgar word that you can come up with. That's what the song's about. And our sinful nature just wants to do that. We, wish, we just want, want to do that. And, and God's like, no, you can't do that. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of this world. Those are the characteristics of the kingdom of this world. And, if, and again, if you question that, read the lyrics of the songs that are popular today. And you know that that's what the world has to offer. And there is a war going on in our flesh towards those things or towards the things of God. It's, again, it's either or. Uh, Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, in this scripture, the world is replaced with money, right? Instead of saying you can't love God and love the world, it says you cannot serve God and serve money. Why is that? Why is that? Well, money by itself is not a bad thing. We need money to to buy food, to pay our rent, to keep our lights on, right? But money actually is the key to every desire available in this world, isn't it? And the problem isn't money. The problem is when we serve money. And we serve money because of the pleasures of this world, because we're in love with this world. Money can be a hindrance in our spiritual walk. I've known people, and I've been tempted to do this myself, who have stopped going to church, stopped taking their family to church 
just so they can work a second job and make more money. We probably know those people. We might have been those people. And it wasn't like they were starving. It was just for extra money. I've known people who were plugged in, their family was plugged into a a great community, a great school, a great church, and they said, you know what? I can make $10,000 more if I move 200 miles away. And so I'm going to uproot my whole family and just go make more money. I've known people, I've been tempted to do this myself, who have really gone against their personal integrity and lied on their taxes, right? I mean, this is tax season. We all know it, right? And it's a temptation to just smudge it just a little bit so that we can have what? More money. More money that we can spend on our pleasures. It is normal in our society today that if you're buying a used car, uh, we just bought a few recently, and every time the person selling me the car said, hey, I'll write in a lower amount on the sales price, sale price so that you don't have to pay as much taxes. It's just normal. Like, everybody is doing it. And I'm like, no, don't do that. I want you to, but don't do that, you know, because I... Because we save money that way. We don't, you know, we have more money in our pocket if we lie on the title. You cannot serve both God and money. Money was meant to serve us. I do know some people, though, who have, who have actually quit their job because it was interfering with their ability to go to church or to uh, be involved in home groups and so on. And they said, you know, money's not that important to me. My spiritual condition is. Recently, uh, I, knew, I know a family that came into a large sum of money and it wasn't expected. And, uh, and you know what they did? They wrote a check to the church for 10% of that amount. It was a large sum of money. And they didn't have to do that. None of us knew that they were getting that money. It was just between them and God. And the, you know what they, they did? They, they wrote a check for 10%. And, and by doing that and handing that to the church, they were saying, money serves me. I am not going to serve it. There are many, many of you who tithe every week. And that's a way of just saying, I am not going to serve money. I'm going to serve God with my money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm, I'm a firm believer that God doesn't need our money. You know, he could make any one of us rich. You know that? All he had to do is put into our mind about five years ago to buy like 10 Bitcoin, right? That would have been it. Just like buy 10 Bitcoin, put them on the side, you'll be rich. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that because he doesn't need our money. He needs our obedience and he wants our heart. He wants our heart. We are being tempted every day by what money can buy, by the pleasures of this world. And John is saying, Don't be deceived. You cannot love this world and love me. 
You got to pick one. You got to pick one. So here's a question for you. What pleasure in this world am I too in love with? This message was too convicting for me because <laughs> there's so many things that I have to take from the love category and put them into the light category. Just too many things. So what pleasure in this world are you too in love with? Because it's okay to like things, but it's not okay to, to dream about them, to sacrifice your family and friends and your faith for. I mean, we got to take the things of this world and put them into the like category and take them out of the love category so that we can have more love and passion for God. Here's your feeling. Saying no to the pleasure, pleasures of this world equals saying yes to loving God more. Many of you were involved in our 21-day fast, and I am convinced that when we say no to eating good food or saying no to coffee or saying no to, to pop or desserts or saying no to food completely, we're saying no to the pleasures of this world. And when we do that, we are, by definition, making our heart open to loving God more and having more passion for him. So that's our first feeling. We should say no to loving this world because we can't love them both. Secondly, and this one just makes sense to me. We should say no to loving this world because it's temporary. This world is temporary. Verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I've read this book. Spoiler alert. In the end, it all burns. Just so we all know. This world and all of its pleasures, whew, it burns up. It burns up. Uh, Revelation 8-7 says this, The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. All that effort we spent last year making our grass green <laughs> is just all going to burn up. It's temporary. The things in this world are temporary. Why would we invest so much of our heart into something that isn't going to last forever when spending eternity with God is going to be forever? And not only is this world going to pass away, it's, it's temporary, um, but we are too. Our lives are not forever. James 4.14 says, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. A mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. That's our lives. And I'm, I'm recognizing it the older I get. Man, one year after the other, after, they just start flying by, don't they? I mean, it's, whew. For those of you that have young kids, it doesn't last forever. You know, I mean, this, this, this world is going to go by faster than we could ever imagine. And we need to make sure that we're not living for things that are temporary, that we are putting our, our lives, we're living our lives in a way that, are, that has eternal um, rewards. So Jesus told this parable of a rich man 
who focused on his riches instead of eternity. And I want to read this because as I was putting this message together, I said, this is like the perfect story. If Jesus was here, he would probably just say, here, let me tell you a story. And he says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my, my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Take life easy and just enjoy everything that this world has to offer. Be in love with the things of this world and enjoy them. That's what he was saying to himself. Verse 20 says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Guys, we're not going to live forever. Do you know that every single person born 150 years ago is dead today? Every single one of them died. 100%. There isn't a cure to this thing called aging. We are all aging. And one day we are going to stand before God. Every single one of them. This life is temporary. When I was growing up, I grew up in a Mennonite church, and there was a table, a big, thick table that sat right there in front of the, the podium. And it said on it, it said, um, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Anyone ever heard that before? So that was, that was on, engraved on that table. And so this week, I was reminded of that. And so I looked it up. And it was written by this gentleman named C.T. Studd, which I, I could change my name, I think. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty cool name. C.T. Studd was born in 1860. And he was born very, very wealthy and of privilege over in England. And... Uh, and he walked away from all of that privilege to become a missionary to China, India, and Africa. And, uh, and he died at the age of 71 on the mission field in the Congo. He understood what was most important. But he wrote this poem. Let me read it to you. It says, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will, be, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I was growing up, I didn't understand why we had it right there in the front of the church until my grandfather's funeral. Um, and they brought the casket in and they put it on that table. And so there was my grandfather's body, but right underneath it was the saying of only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. 
just a reminder to me, guys, this, this life is temporary. Loving God is what we're about this year. It is so, so important. And it lasts forever. The things of this world are temporary. I mean, you buy a new car. How, how long is it new? <laughs> about 30, 30 days probably, right? By the time you, the new car smell is gone. Everything in this world deteriorates and goes away. But what we do for Christ, man, that's what's going to last. That's what's going to last. Here's your last fill-in. The world and its riches are a poor investment. They're a poor investment of our time, of our energy, of our passion, of our love. So let's not be in love with what this world has to offer. Let's be in love with the things of God. So those are your two points. We should say no to loving this world because we, we can't have both, can't love both, and it's very, very temporary. I'm going to invite Emma to come up here. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.